Today is Thursday, June 19th, 2012, and this oh, <laughs> is the Vegas Game Podcast! A uh, roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. Let me go around the virtual table and introduce the guys. We have Tim Dressen, editor of editor of VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Tim? I'm thinking about all the great times we've had here in Las Vegas. <laughs> I hope you have been fortunate. <laughs> perfect. That was perfect. Uh, Chuck, how are you? I'm great. Fabulous. Good. I'm caffeinated. Good, good. Um, and to his virtual left, uh, Dr. Dave Schwartz, the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey there. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Stop. Excellent. Sounds great. How is the, how's the research going today? It's going well. We posted a major paper, which I think you guys will like, where an MBA student looked inside how these different operators operate and also did some survey research, talking to people about what they're actually looking for in Vegas casinos. It's really cool stuff. It's one of the coolest papers we've published in a long, long time. I saw your link on Twitter, and I sent it to my Instapaper thing, so I definitely plan on reading it. Yeah, it's the longest paper we've published Ever, I think, but it's really worth it. It's some really cool stuff. Awesome. Very cool. Um, my name's Hunter Hilligus. I'm at ratevegas.com. Um, we're going to start off with a couple of quick announcements. Uh, the first is a reminder that the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic is uh, this coming October uh, the 13th, right? Yep, 13th of October. Um, and uh, since the last time we spoke... We have now uh, locked in our location, thank goodness. Um, The location is going to be at the fabulous Bally's Hotel and Casino Resort, fantastical land, um, in the Indigo Lounge. So the Indigo Mm -hmm. Lounge, if you're familiar with the Bally's general layout, um, you know, it's got a little connector to Paris and sort of kind of near there, up a couple, up a few stairs, there's like a little uh, lounge that's semi-open to the casino. Um, got some cocktail chairs and tables and stuff like that. And, um, you know, usually they have entertainment in there and they're willing to, uh, let us have our event there. So that's where we're going to be on the 13th in the afternoon. And all that, all those details are, um, at, uh, VegasInternetMafia.com. We will be joined by the fabulous folks of Five Hundy by Midnight, um, doing, uh, a derivation of their show uh, you'll have an opportunity to uh, com- combat Dr. Dave with some trivia questions. <laughs> and um, we'll be, I think we're going to be reincarnating the famous match game uh, from last year. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we'll continue to dribble out some of the details as we get closer. But that's the, the event is sort of starting, starting to crystallize. And we, we actually, um, I would say, are 95% confirmed for uh, an interview guest for this show. When we're when we're there live, and I, I wanted to say 100% confirmed, but I'm waiting for one more email to come back, uh, so uh, we will make that announcement next time, I guess. But um, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential with this guest for some interesting discussion and um, potentially some spirited back and forth. Can we play guest the guest or something like? Well, how would how would that work? Our- I don't know. People post and guess who they think we're going to have. Sure. That's fine. Um, do you, do you, do you want to give any kind of 
clues that it might be? Um, I don't really know. I don't know if I want to deliver any uh, information about the clues. Okay. Um, but if I was going to deliver details, <laughs> um, you know, I'd have to reconsider. We'll see. Anything could happen. <laughs> Um, I'm rambling on and on. So VegasInternetMafia.com, October 13th. Uh, we can't wait to see you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you don't come, well, that will be sad. So, you know, just come. Let's not, let's make it happen. I'd like to add this, this location was our second choice. So we did pretty good. Our first choice was the Coliseum, but they exceeded that. (laughs) But, uh. You know, I, we did get them to bring over the special um, humidified stage zone that they built for Selena. They're going to be moving Ooh. that over to the Indigo Lounge for the afternoon because I have a very sensitive voice. Me too. Uh, need to be protected. Um, okay, so that's uh, Vimpf coming soon to a Indigo Lounge near you. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about quickly was just uh, yesterday was um, the 75th birthday of Hunter S. Thompson. And uh, it got some coverage in uh, the Vegas sphere. Um, but Chuck, you sort of spearheaded this on Vegas tripping. Why don't you explain what you did? And then, um, Dave, let's make sure we get directions to the stuff that you did as well. Well, uh, being a fan of the, the great, uh, the good doctor, um, and noticing by the numbers that it's the 75th anniversary of his birth, uh, that's... You know, it's as as good a reason as any to uh, raise a glass and toast a guy that uh, means a lot to me and I know means a lot to a lot of other people. Uh, He's was not only a uh, fantastic writer and amazing journalist, but he gave people a lot of license to sort of be themselves in a lot of ways, you know. Go for it. Be yourself. It's okay to be yourself and live your life to the fullest uh, without giving a crap what other folks think. So I asked a bunch of my dear pals and friends and people I respect and people who I know admire uh, Dr. Thompson's work to uh, submit a thing or two, a blurb or a yap or a photograph or any number of things. And, you know, four or five of y'all responded with some great stuff. And we posted it on VT. It's all under the tag Forever Gonzo. And uh, I'll kick it over to Dave. Yeah, so Dave, you also uh, you also were writing some stuff, I think, Vegas 7 today. Why don't you tell people about that? I did. This was inspired by Chuck. He asked me if I'd like to contribute, and I said, sure. It'd be cool to kind of get this into Vegas 7. So I wrote a latest thought, which is a piece that's usually about a 1,000 words and is somewhere in the front of the magazine. And thought, all right, cool, this is good. And um, just kind of tried to get a, a little bit at what sort of the reflection of Hunter S. Thompson's reflection, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And turned out that that became the cover story for this week. So we got uh, Dr. Gonzo's picture in the cover, which is pretty cool. And I've actually gotten a lot of feedback about it. A lot of people really liked it, which is funny because when I wrote it, I was almost positive that it was that my editor was going to say like this is totally unreadable try try again (laughs) i just i was like oh man this is so i guess it wasn't so bad nice well um 
we'll definitely link that stuff up so that people that are looking for it can find it. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Nice. And Hunter, you uh, you want to talk about the piece that you submitted at all? Um. Well, I you know it was you asked me to write something uh, on it, and I thought it was a great um, topic. I uh, had a lot of fun doing it. Mostly, it was um, just talking a little bit about sort of his style. And, um, I don't know. I honestly, I think one of the things I wrote in the piece was that I think Vegas stripping and a lot of the writing that people do on the web around Las Vegas, but a lot of it not also, uh, is very, it's uh, very important stuff to, uh, consider sort of, uh, it's aspiration. And it was a lot of fun to, recognize that and uh honestly like i said in the thing i think if he was around i could totally imagine him writing for you these days and i i meant that as a compliment and i hope it came across that way oh, absolutely uh, blessed but it was fun i if, i i'm doing a really poor job of explaining it but it is on the website <laughs> and uh you can read it for yourselves and um and see what you think along with all of the other stuff that people put up there there was it was really fun to go through and uh, and read it. So it, thanks for doing that. I think it was it's great to commemorate. Yeah. All right. Moving into the meat of the program here, the steak, as they might say. Um, I don't know. We've got sort of some random stuff on the list for today, and I'm not sure how long the show will be. Uh, some of this stuff may go really quickly. I'm not sure how much we have to say on some of these topics. But the one thing I definitely wanted to lead off with um, is talking about, Chuck, your trip to Atlantic City. Uh, and I don't know how much more stuff you have to write, but you've definitely written some already, um, specifically about your trip to Revel, which I think is very interesting. And you did a review of your stay. Uh, and I, I, I guess first start off by letting you recap it a little bit, but then I, I want to talk about some of the specifics and um, try and draw out a little bit more information about it and try and experience it vicariously through you. So why don't you start by uh, talking a little bit about your stay and sort of your general impressions of the place? Absolutely. Well, I was, uh, uh, I've been planning to go back to Atlantic City for a long time. And uh, I grew up in New York and my first casinos were in Atlantic City. That's where I used to gamble and play and goof around. This is uh, probably the what late 80s, early 90s. And uh, I bolted for California in the mid-90s and built the AC site specifically to get me to go back to Atlantic City. I'm like, I'm going to build this, and then I'm going to go. And I keep putting it off year after year. Finally, I had to go to New York for my best friend's wedding. Uh, so I was going, and I convinced my wife to tack a couple days onto the front of the trip so we could go do a little, you know, reconnaissance. Um, uh, Atlantic City didn't look a hell of a lot like uh, what I remember it. It uh, it did somewhat, but it was a little shabbier and it was a little <laughs> kind of dirtier. But in a lot of ways, it was a lot more uh, upbeat and exciting and full of people than uh, the news reports and whatnot might make you think. Uh, <laughs> the casinos were actually pretty full. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, this is like a Wednesday, I think, Wednesday and a Thursday. Um, and the first night we spent at Revel, 
brand new place, just opened, as uh, some of you know. And the building has the same kind of rectangular, multi-level podium that uh, Cosmopolitan has, even down to having a, uh, a, f- a flowing work of art, kind of like the, uh, the chandelier that flows from the top to the bottom that lets the energy sort of suck up like a cyclone all the way through everything. Um, the review is kind of gigantic, uh, and I barely even scratched the surface. I kind of just wanted to get to the part of checking in the general kind of vibes of the spaces and uh, the hotel room itself. I didn't really touch the casino. That's going to happen next, and there's a couple of dining reviews as well that are going to get posted. Um, generally, the room... Uh, is one of the nicer hotel rooms I've I've stayed in. It's pretty kind of sedate, very comfortable. It's got a lot of technology. It all kind of worked a little better. Uh, the the room layout, the uh, the technology, things like that that have always been sort of a problem recently in Las Vegas, Cosmopolitan Aria specifically. Uh, these things they they worked a little bit better and they were a little bit more comfortable. Believe it or not, it, at uh, at Revel. Um, it was amazing having that fantastic ocean view in the morning. I'm not used to seeing the sun rise on the ocean. It was quite a uh, mind-bending early morning experience. It was, it was pretty gorgeous. Uh, service there was phenomenal. Everybody was really friendly. They are really trying to help. It wasn't the most polished of five-star experiences. You know, you could tell that the employees were kind of green, but... There was no, there were no issues whatsoever. Uh, I had some some minor problems with a, with waiters and a couple other things, but everybody else was very very helpful, and there was no problems with checking in. It was all pretty much a breeze. Now the property itself, uh, if you imagine uh, what it's like to be in a in a casino before it's opened it kind of feels like that and it could be because the scale of the property doesn't match the amount of people that are in it uh the lobby is very expansive it's very large and very huge the property is intended to have two full hotel towers right now it only has one and not all of the rooms are are fitted in the tower so They've built for twice as much people to stay there than there are. So it feels a little kind of empty. It mm-hmm. actually feels sort of like a, uh, like a furniture store to a degree because <laughs> you walk past like this little lobby area and there's like a beautiful array of couches and stuff and then there's nothing for another 100 yards. And it just, they're just seating areas everywhere, everywhere seating areas like – and and unlike Cosmopolitan or any other place, usually if there's a place to sit down, there's a place where they're going to sell you some drinks. There's none of that. There's one small bar uh, on the um, in the lobby. It's like a 12 seat, teeny weeny little rinky dinky little thing. Uh, you know, there's no coffee shop like right there. You know, in the immediate kind of area. So it has a weird sort of sense that the place isn't finished yet. Uh, lots of things to do and walk around. There's a beautiful – I'm going to do some photographs with this too. Um, they, they've taken the idea of walking through a mall. The, the, you know, you, you go through the path of going through any kind of shopping esplanade and each uh, 
section is sort of like its own little design vignette. Right now, there's no stores in these things, but you walk through and it's like, ooh, there's all this red Asian sort of thing with this gigantic lamp that's 50 yards across. It looks like a giant red Fram air filter mounted on top of a, you know, a 12 foot tall lampstand right in the middle of the room with all these red leather chairs and whatnot. And then you walk through that little section and then it becomes this very delicate, sort of like stroking the underside of Bambi sort of feel, you know, um, and then followed by another one that's sort of a psychedelic Stanley Kubrick space jam freak out thing. So the design of the place is like, they really did a good job of, of making the place look very, very elegant. But right now they don't really have the retail filled out. They don't have all of the restaurants filled out. You know, it's, it's sort of a miracle that this place is even open to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's great that it is. Looking at like the other places in town, like having a new joint here is going to give Atlantic City a kick in the pants, and it's going to make people want to come down there. If you live on the East Coast, you've been to Borgata. You know, you've been to Borgata, you've been to the Water Club. There's no big marquee item to make you want to come back. Uh, so it's good to have this place here. It's kind of fired people up. They want to go check it out. People want to know what it's like. I've been getting hounded about posting this review. It took an eternity because it was a lot of work. But uh, I, I see Atlantic City on on an upswing. You know, Trump Plaza has been completely renovated. It looks fantastic. Um, uh, the Golden Nugget, oh, my goodness. Uh, our dear friend Paolo, uh, who some of you know, he's a listener to the show. He came and met my wife and I, and we went over to the Golden Nugget, which used to be the, the uh, Trump uh, Marina, Trump Castle. And it's completely and totally transformed. It is a thoroughly gorgeous property. The detail of the design work is intricate and fantastic. They have taken the Golden Nugget name and pushed it beyond what you possibly could imagine. And conversely, uh, also did a, I'm going to do a post about this, but it did sort of a Roger Thomas, Steve Wynn archaeological dig at the Atlantic Club, which was the original Golden Nugget, and found all sorts of just so Roger-y kinds of things. You know, these little design flourishes, like the they still have like a bank of telephone booths <laughs> with this with, a, with a, the great, like very Roger Steve, the diamond patterns and things like that, and and weird um, like light fixtures, particularly in like the high limit baccarat room right across right off the casino floor. And then the casino floor itself still has the original chandeliers and everything, but the baccarat room has a set of the most fabulous Roger Thomasy uh, chandeliers and sconces on the walls. They're still there. They're still the original ones. Uh, it's it's if you're if you're a fan of of the wind kind of thing, it's kind of fun to go there and see what's still there. It's it was a, it was a fascinating little walkthrough. But uh, to to sum the whole thing up, we uh, we came back saying we want to go back, which is kind of like the best feeling you could possibly have. You know, it wasn't like oh man, that was a dump. It was horrible. We went to the pier and I choked down a couple of bags of cotton. And he did all sorts of fun, goofy stuff. And uh, but we definitely want to go back and spend more time, a little bit more exploring and goofing around. And I'm I'm looking forward to to spending another trip over there for sure. It's interesting. Um, 
you know, you talked about wanting to go back. And I think, f- at least for me, not not being anywhere near as familiar with Atlantic City casino details as I am with Las Vegas, that, I think, makes it more interesting for me, right? I, it's something almost new to explore. Um, whereas, you know, the, I've beaten the trails in, in Las Vegas quite a bit. Um, this is something different and new and uh, exciting. And it sounds like you had a blast. Yeah. And it's not in Chinese. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little bit easier to get to than uh, Macau. Um, I also should mention just the last thing, Hunter, is that we spent the, the second night at Borgata. And unbeknownst to us, they had just renovated all the rooms. So we're going to have a review of all these brand new rooms at Borgata as well. And uh, we had dinner there and gambled. And the casino was packed that night um, compared to Revel, you know. Revel's got a lot of work to do. They don't. They don't have the list. They don't have you know a full uh, marketing campaign set out yet. But give them some time and give them a couple partners, and maybe somebody buys them or whatnot. Uh, they'll uh, they'll do a lot better. But things are looking up for me in terms of Atlantic City. I'm excited. Well, I have questions. I have questions. Um, first off is related to what you were just mentioning, which was you're there on uh, whenever, th- uh, Wednesday, Thursday night, whatever it is, and um, Borgata is full and Revel is not. Um, you know, obviously Borgata is a super hot place, but <clears throat> what about other places on the boardwalk? Were they, was Revel comparatively less full? I mean, it's location, it's on the end, but it's not that bad, is it? I'm wondering why they're not getting more of that initial bounce that you might expect them to get. That's a good question. Uh, the, the casino itself is pretty striking. It's oh boy, how would I describe it? It's red. It's really red. If you thought if you thought that uh, Encore was red, yeah, you're not even close. This thing is in the lighting and the and the carpet and the decor and the way things are put out. It really kind of is like sort of a visual freakout in a lot of ways. Lots of colors. Lots of uh, Willy Wonka-ish stuff. They've got uh, sort of like the Casino Cabana idea, but exploded into a much more giant uh, idea. Uh, uh, they've got like all these parasols and this crazy woodwork and all this stuff. And I played a little bit of, of – I hit the slot a little bit. I played a little video poker. I don't exactly the pay tables, but they were pretty com- com- comparable to everybody everywhere else in town. Uh, the, the dealers, the stick – it, uh, at the dice table were a little green. They weren't the most uh, on top of it as other places. So, you know, I think give them some, some degree of time. I think people probably have gone to check it out. People who were there were kind of having a good time. There was one section, like there's a uh, Ivan Kane's 40 Deuce. He's the uh, burlesque nightclub douche nozzle operator guy. He right. had the at Mandalay Bay that closed. Well, he's got one here now, too, at Revel. And I tell you, if you throw a, a, a woman in a bikini on top of a bar and turn some loud music on, you sell a lot of beer to a lot of chips. The place was packed. It was crazy packed. It was a lot of people. The other thing to mention about Revel, too, is that their nightclubs haven't opened. Their, you know, their dining is still just kind of getting launched and stuff. So it's really a ramp up. They say they're open, but barely. Okay. Something they're still just slowly 
adding of this, adding of that, adding of this, adding of that. And the beach, the beach thing is not going to open this year. It's going to open next year. They told us July 4th, but obviously it didn't happen. So uh, I think with some time, compared to the other places, it definitely wasn't as packed for sure. You know, Harris has a huge list market people at, and they also kind of run the junkets in a lot of ways. If you go get on the bus at the Port Authority uh, terminal in New York, you know, they drop you off at a Total Rewards casino immediately and bring you there right to the desk to get your card. So they suck you right into the system and then they keep you there. So Now, Revel is uh, fully non-smoking, right? I'm curious to hear what what that was like. If that if you notice that, or and and if you think that they're if that plays into like is that a negative? Um, I mean that they're uh, really blazing a trail with that, and um, you know people like to smoke, especially old blue haired old ladies that sit at slots all day. I don't I don't really know. I quit, so I don't smoke anymore. So it doesn't really bother me. Uh, that it's not smoky, but the fact that there was no smoke means the place didn't stink. You know, it really, it was clean. It looked clean. It smelled clean. It was clean. You know, I, I personally, you know, I, you probably have to ask a smoker. Some people don't like it, but I didn't see people standing outside smoking. Right. Okay. So. Interesting. Well, I'm looking definitely looking forward to hearing more about the casino stuff because it was funny. I was reading your review and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then I got to the end. I'm like, but wait, what about the rest of the place? And I realized that, um, you know, you, you, you did uh, review like you have done for many other hotel rooms in Las Vegas and you never really talk about the uh, casino and stuff. And I think I just am so used to the places in Vegas that I know what it's like. And so now I'm like, I want more. So I'm glad that you, uh, are planning to do some more um, writing about the the casino stuff because I'm curious to get more of a feel for it and what the place was like. There is a backlog. I've got (laughs) stuff from the last Vegas trip. Um, I I got more shit to write than I know what to do with. (laughs) Well, that's a good problem to have, I think. Um, Dave, I don't know. What do you think about all this? you, I'm sure you read the the review. I know you've been following Revel, and you, of course, have a ha, are interested in Atlantic City for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> um, what what do you think? I feel really optimistic about it. Um, seeing what Chuck had to say meant a lot because he knows casinos, he knows casinos in a lot of markets, and his reaction I think was very interesting. And hopefully, it's a reaction that other people are going to have. Now, as far as their traffic. If I can go gambling nerd and everybody for a second, it's really interesting how this, how you see this in the numbers. So like in June, Borgata averaged $366 in win per slot per day. Revel averaged 135 So about one-third the amount of money being won by those slots at Revel. Really, you know, they've really got to get people in there. And Revel was actually they, – they were actually the worst property in the whole city as far as win per slot per day in June. Wow. And they pretty much have been – in April – no, they pretty – in April, they beat out resorts by $2 per day. But besides that, they pretty much consistently been the worst uh, casino for slot action in town, which is uh, – you know, I understand there's a ramping up period, but they're really – 
far below even the lower tier properties. You know, when Trump Plaza is dominating you, and that's I think Chuck, I think you meant the Taj when you said it had been renovated. No, it's the, the Plaza. Trump. Yeah, but the the one next to Showboat between Showboat and Resorts. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Not no? the Taj. Not the Taj. The, the one is the one in the end from Plaza, the casino floor. Really? Yeah. Because they've totally taken they've totally taken a lot of their play out of there and moved it down to the Taj because mm. um, it's on the market because it's for sale. Right. That's that's interesting that they've renovated the casino floor. Huh. Yeah. Neat. So. It's just funny how everybody else is pretty much killing them, you know, including even the Atlantic Club, which is trying to cater towards more more of a ro- low roller. Of course, what they did is they pulled some of their slots off the floor, so now they have a higher win per slot. So it's very interesting what's happened uh, with right. Revel by the numbers. And hopefully in a little while later this summer I'll get out there and I'll be able to give my thoughts. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next was if you had any plans to go and check it out for yourself. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to do that. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully I can make that happen. Sounds interesting. It definitely made me curious um, about the place. I would love to go back to Atlantic City. It's been quite a while since I was there. Um, and uh, and it's just it was fun to read. I'm looking forward to reading more. And I got a lot of people asking uh, about the show saying, oh, yeah, you're going to talk about Chuck's trip. So – it's definitely a lot of interest out there. It's interesting how that may may not immediately be translating into on the ground interest, but there definitely seems to be a lot of curiosity um, with casino nerds. Now, I have one more question about Revel, and given the um, dis- given that it's sort of like a design cousin to the Cosmopolitan, mm. how would you grade the design and implementation of said design between the two properties? Um, I know that, you know, we've sometimes have been hard on certain aspects of the Cosmopolitan's design. Um, what do you think about now that you've compared it to what they did at Rebel and how it's similar and how it's different? Um, any thoughts on that? You know, these two are sister properties. They're next to each other on the, the design table. They are the same concept, you know, instead of, one tower in front, one larger snaky thing in the back. They put them right next to each other, but the the principle is kind of the same to all to these the the three four level podium uh, uh, with the uh, you know the towers sitting on top. Um, in terms of comparing the two, huh? You know, Cosmopolitan. The the big difference to me is in 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 the in the construction of the buildings. There's the architecture. Then there's the the interior design, which is the designs of the spaces, and then there's like decor, which is like furniture and furnishings and you know uh, tabletops and things like that. And then there's art. There's a level of art that goes on top of everything on top of it. Um, Cosmopolitan has an unparalleled array of art. They have, and it's kind of goofy and whimsical and childlike in a lot of ways, but it's instantly shareable and very sort of creative in the micro. And Revel has sort of none of that. It's kind of like 
a museum in, in, in a furniture store in a lot of ways. Cause like the walls are sort of bare. Everything's kind of bare. It, it's, it, I don't know if it's, it's on purpose, but when you walk through the, uh, like last time I was in town, actually I was walking through uh, one of the upper levels of the cosmopolitan. I noticed something I hadn't before is that they had put all of these vintage photos of Las Vegas and frames around and, they weren't your standard, you know, Dino and Frankie and Sammy Davis Jr. kind of photos. It was a photo of Robbie the Robot at a craps table throwing dice and, like, people getting spanked, you know, and, and things like that. Like, but they're all Vegas-related. But it made walking through a hallway, you could just kind of stop and linger and look at the artwork and, you know, check out the red hands or the shoe or this, that, or the other thing. Revel kind of doesn't have that. So when you go into some of these spaces, you're like, am I supposed to be here? You know, you can't tell that it's fully, like, it hasn't fully lived in at that at that point. It doesn't have that layer of uh, personality and, and pizzazz and panache over the top of it. The other thing that Cosmopolitan has on Revel is there's a bar everywhere. You want a drink? Bam. You can get yourself a frozen daiquiri. You, well, maybe not a Cosmopolitan. Do they have one of those things? But you can get yourself a stiff drink. You're probably 20 yards away from a bar at any spot of the Cosmopolitan for the most part. Um, Revel, not so much. You kind of have to go hunting and looking and pecking to find some of these things. Uh, the uh, The crowd... Um, the way they're kind of marketing the thing, it seems like they're actually going for a wider swath of public than Cosmopolitan, which sort of narrow-casted towards foodies and hipsters and indie rockers, you know. These guys are just sort of marketing towards everybody with a little bit more intelligence. It's not so much a hard sell on the casino, and it's not so much this oblique sort of whatever, hipsterism. So... The comparisons are are so true for so much of the property, but the personality of the two are very, very different. The, the, I'd say Revel's probably a little bit more upscale, uh, but it doesn't take itself so seriously. And it doesn't have, like, the, the Tahani fringe, and it doesn't have the uh, the Friedmutter glitter and light. Uh, it's, it's a little bit... It's more different. It's a little more kind of, like... M Resort with, like, serious reds. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. Can't uh, can't wait to see and hear more. Um, I think uh, that'll close it up for Atlantic City for now, unless anyone else has anything to add. A couple other random points I wanted to talk about uh, in other locales. Um, One of them... And I'm not I'm not sure how you guys will ring in on this. It's interesting. It was uh, one of our listeners wrote to me, and um, I don't know if I should say who it is because he didn't say that I could, but uh, I'll say a, a listener, and was talking about the um, the state of late night dining on the Las Vegas Strip and how it seems to be receding um, and not expanding. And specifically, it was talking about Win Las Vegas and how. They don't really have much in the way of late night dining anymore. Um, the Terrace Point Cafe closes at like three in the afternoon. Uh, some of the, some of the restaurants have are serving food until around midnight or sometimes a little bit later. But there's not a lot of super great late night stuff. And what he was saying 
was it's kind of sad when your best late night option for food is Denny's. Yeah. Um, and how it, that didn't seem to be true and uh, a few years ago and how a lot of these casino coffee shops that were always open 24 hours have really cut back on their hours. Uh, and, you know, what that's all about and why why this is happening. Is it just a function of the recession um, and whether it bothers anybody else uh, or whether it's not something that most people care about. And I thought about it, you know, for just for myself. And I have a lot of memories of a lot of late night dining, usually after a night of partying or whatever. And going to get some terrible food um, really yeah. really early in the morning. And it seems almost like it's part of Las Vegas charm. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think it is unfortunate that this seems to be uh, less and less of a thing. Because going to Denny's is not really quite the same. Um, I, I ch- check. I mean, Dave. I know you know you're in bed by uh, nine with your <laughs> with your family of twelve. So I don't know if this is like if this is high on your list of first world problems, but. Um, Chuck, maybe have you run into this at all in your adventures? Oh man, I hate it. <laughs> it's the worst thing in the world because uh, you know the, so much of the restaurants now are actual restaurant restaurants. You know they're they've they're killing the cafes so people will go get the high priced burger and eggs at Gordon Ramsay or wherever. You know, so I have so many fond memories of sitting in a in a casino coffee shop and I'll share one quick one. I was in Vegas with my band. This is 10 plus years ago and we played a gig somewhere and the end of the night, we all, you know, it's 4, 4.30 in the morning after a gig, after you play, you're usually kind of amped up with your beat, but you're full of energy and you're probably loaded too. And we were all of those things. We had a crew of about 12 of us, including the band and, and, and some friends. And sitting in the, in the coffee shop at the, at the Tropicana, just laughing, just laughing, laughing, stupid drunk. Don't know what you're going to order. Are we going to get breakfast? Are we going to get, you know, dinner? What time is it? What's going on? Finally, this gigantic plate of pancakes arrives in front of uh, the guy who was operating our light show. And he just looks up and he says, do I have to eat this? <laughs> you know, and it, it was just, it was the funniest thing at the time. But it's, it is just like you said, Hunter, it is part of lore of being in a semi dead coffee shop at three o'clock in the morning with a bunch of other drunks or, you know, uh, Europeans who are getting up in the morning because they get up at like 3 a.m. to go, I don't know, sightseeing to go to the Hoover Dam at 4 a.m. Uh, <laughs> So for sure, man, I miss this. And just to tack on something else too, Atlantic City, Revel particularly, good luck finding a beer, man, after 11 o'clock. You actually have to go down to the casino level, which is sort of a hike from the rooms. The gift shop doesn't sell beer or alcohol at all. Zero, none. So that, that was a bit of a shock to me. Definitely. Well, Dave, you must, you know, when you were a PhD student back uh, in the 1960s, um, you were, you know, you spent a lot of time in Las Vegas. You probably were, I think you told some stories about pulling some crazy hours coming in and out. I'm sure you spent some time in some of these late night dining establishments in your career. Yeah. And before I was domesticated, I I spent some time out too. (laughs) I think it's, you know, I think it really is the kind of thing that you expect to see in Vegas where everything is supposed to be just slightly surreal. You know, you expect to be able to go into some coffee shop at any hour and get a lot of food. 
So I think it's something that people expect from Vegas. Additionally, I would – I'm just going to hazard a guess here that they need to have the central kitchen open anyway for room service, which mm-hmm. I assume would be 24 hours in any major hotel. Obviously, with 3,000 rooms in a hotel and people, as you guys said, coming from all over the world, you should probably be expecting to get some orders anytime. So if the kitchen is open anyway – I don't see how much more it would cost to keep the coffee shop open. You know, obviously somebody who is a food and beverage manager could give me an exact dollar amount there. But, you know, I, I think it's the kind of thing they definitely need to have more of just to give people that option. Yeah, I mean, it just seemed like it was uh, – you could always rely on it as the standard, right? Every casino would have some kind of a coffee shop and it would always be open 24 hours. And the nicer ones had nicer ones and the less nicer ones had less nicer ones. And you could count on it to be a constant. And it seems like that's really dialed back and changed quite a bit um, with the – I guess starting maybe starting with the recession. But even as business has kind of oscillated, improved a little bit and maybe n- – maybe growth slowed a little bit again. It seems like none of that stuff has come back. And um, it is it is too bad. I, 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 I demand my late night food. It's a little bit of a disservice to a lot of people who come to Vegas too because, you know, there's some people who are going to try to really cheap out in it and are going to try to get a, get a box of pizza and bring it into the room. There's other people who are going to go out and do the whole gourmet thing. But I think there's a lot of people in the middle there. You know, maybe somebody who came out for a convention who's traveling alone, who just wants to go to a place that's you know, doesn't want to eat his dinner at Starbucks right. with whatever the sandwiches are. On the other hand, doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to go for the full dinner presentation and kind of just wants to go someplace to get a burger or a salad or something like that. And I think that's really what those are for. Yeah, and I don't know how um, how well downtown compares to the Strip. If downtown is still doing this a lot better um, than than the Strip is, I, I get sort of a sense that it is. But someone that's more of an expert on Fremont Street dining should uh, write into the comments and and say if this is just something that's impacting the Strip or whether it's uh, happening all over the city. It could have something to do with the uh, you know the the Westfield syndrome. You know, if if every restaurant now is operated by the like group or some other group, fill in the blank group, you know, then then the casino cafe is competing with, you know, Mix or Fix or whatever the hell the name of that place is at Bellagio, right? Right, sure. You know? And sometimes I don't want those stupid sliders and tacos. I just want a, a turkey sandwich. Right. You know, you don't want 40, do you, forty-five dollar lobster tacos. I don't want a forty-five dollar <laughs> lobster taco, and I don't want to sit around some other people. I kind of want a little peace and quiet. Yeah, you know, the casino cafe that. is a lost art. It's dying. It's dying on the vine. I know. It's I gonna, was... it's gonna go by the way of the change bucket. It's only going to exist at the D. <laughs> you know, that's that brings back some very vivid memories of going out to. It was light all the way back then and then afterwards at like four thirty-five in the morning coming out and going to the coffee shop at bourbon street right and like man it was just so cool because it's like whoa all this breakfast stuff and oh my god yeah. so yeah it's just the kind of thing that would really appeal to a lot of people in a way that a lot of stuff that's offered now doesn't well but you're not supposed to eat after you go to the club now. You're supposed to eat before you go to the club. You're supposed to make a night of it at Botero. 
Brotero? At Brotero. <laughs> you go to Brotero and then they whisk you in the back door into excess. Yeah, you have uh, some you know, quesadillas and a little cocaine and you're good to go. Exactly. <sighs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely can commiserate with – uh, with the uh, person that wrote in, and he's not alone. Um, it, I do think it's unfortunate. I hope it's a trend that reverses itself, and we do see some more of this stuff come back because it there's it's just too much fun to uh, to have it be removed. Um, another thing, I wanted to take a quick hit on. We just found out this afternoon that um, a judge is going to allow MGM Resorts International to demolish the Harmon, their stunted. <laughs> Pseudo never made it hotel that's in between the Cosmopolitan and Crystals of Aria location. Um, they're in a lawsuit with uh, the builder Perini over the construction of the building, and MGM has wanted to tear it down for a while. And uh, Perini argued that it would harm their case um, too much to uh, to let them do it. Um, so. You know, I think this is interesting. We're, we're finally going to see the building come down. I think MGM said uh, maybe around six months um, until they get to do it. I think the implosion will be interesting. It's in a tough spot, uh, though, you know, the people that do these implosions are are quite skilled. I'm, I'm sure that they'll be able to pull it off, but it is not like it's in the middle of a field somewhere. Um, <laughs> it is, it's going to require some surgical precision. Uh, I don't know. Any thoughts on the Harmon? This is, I think, sort of a foregone conclusion. It's just now that we're finally, they're finally going to pull the trigger, so to speak. I wonder how far this is going to go. I think it's going to go all the way to the president's office. <laughs> They're going to appeal this thing to the Pope. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to keep going all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way. Finally, Kirk Kerkorian's going to have to make a ruling at some point, about <laughs> whether or not they keep the Harmon. <laughs> I mean, it's, Lost in appeal limbo. This thing ain't coming down for another couple of years. You think uh, so? You think this is going to take a while? That this is just the beginning? Yeah. yeah there's no way that they're that the attorneys for Tudor are going to let this happen. Well, I think that's definitely true, right? I think we can definitely assume that there will be an appeal. So, uh, you guys are of the opinion that this is just uh, one more step in the process. That we're not nearing the end of this thing. Yeah, but my question is: Is the Harmon the biggest? debacle of the past five years in Las Vegas. Fawn Blue. That's one. That's one. Uh, Steve wins plastic surgery. Ouch. Uh, the, <laughs> it's the, interesting because we don't, it's, we're not really, and this is probably something I'll write about, but you know, we're not really a city that likes to be very introspective right. here and thinking about our failures. I mean, how often, I guess nobody does, but it's not like people are still saying, hmm, I wonder why hairspray didn't work at Luxor right. or something <laughs> like that. So, you know, we just don't seem to have that kind of self reflection so much. So it's very right. interesting that the reminders of our failures are still with us now. They're not being wiped away. I don't know. That's a little bit too uh, esoteric, maybe. <laughs> we had another reminder of a failure this week, too. Is uh, the uh, Boyd's been given six right. years to sit on Echelon. Right. But they have to put some plants up. Right. <laughs> they have to buy $4 million in landscaping. Yes, to make it look pretty and and change the uh, the the rubber stuff that's lining the fence. <laughs> they said something like they're going to make it blend in with the environment. And I'm like, what Ooh. is the environment? It's like dusty desert. Like, what are they going to do exactly? Um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's good that they'll do something to beautify it. I guess they're going to wrap, wrap the buildings and, um, make them look a little bit more attractive. Are they going to wrap it so it looks like a building, like with lights on and stuff? And people would, through the windows, like a Disney thing? That would be pretty, way too funny. I can't imagine that they would pull that off. I'm surprised they're not just going to get rid of those, the, the steel. Because I can't think that it's going to be – they're actually going to use that when they build. It can't last forever, right? I mean – or even if it does – even if it's not a structural issue, the plans are obviously going to change for whatever They've ends up to, there. They've got to because the partners have changed. Right. Yeah. Who knows? I guess at this point it's just about keeping options open. And uh, since they haven't decided what they're going to do, why tear something down that they might end up using? I don't know. Um, and not, no big surprise, though. And I don't think anyone was expecting them to start construction anytime soon. But Which do you think is going to happen first? Harmon going to go down or Echelon going to go up? Hmm. Harmon goes down. I think so, too. Okay. You guys want to put some odds on that? Hmm. <laughs> Three to two. Okay. <laughs> Just because you've got because you've got one very interested party who really wants to see the Har- the Harmon come down, yeah. which is MGM and Echelon. It's like, well, you know, maybe if the economy improves. Um, another thing, if I could just throw it out there, if it's uh, free for all now, still have not heard anything about SLS. No. So <laughs> the funding apparently has not come through yet. Yeah. So it's still out there. Yeah, it's, you know, the clock is ticking on the, the good old folks at the SLS. And it, when, when was the uh, sort of the end of their window? I can't remember. Kind of September, October. Yeah, so it's get, we're getting there. You're getting, the clock is ticking for sure. Um, you know, it's sort of the sleepy summer. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll get, get hard to work once September 1st rolls around. They're on vacation. Um, <laughs> speaking of construction, though, uh, I think we have strong indications now that the Imperial Palace is going to become the Quad. Um, <laughs> they haven't formally announced that, but there's been enough market research um, out there at this point that it's, if nothing else, a leading contender uh, for for its rebrand. Um, we talked about the Imperial Palace and its new name a little bit a few shows ago. Uh, I don't know. How do you guys feel about the quad? I, I don't know about the quad. And someone brought up a really interesting point, which was the connotation of four and Asian culture and how that may have not been the best idea. And then someone else brought up, you know, oh, well, I'm not sure how much the Asian culture was reflected in the Imperial Palace to begin with. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's a couple of interesting things to consider. I mean, on your guys' list of possible names, is the quad at the very top? No. Two things. Number one is somebody doing weights on their leg day, as in, oh man, my quads are killing me, right? Because of my squats or whatever <laughs> for quads. Are or you wearing Birkenstocks at that point? Squats or? are hurting you. That may be an issue you want to talk to your doctor about. The other um, is obviously the very collegiate thing. So I'm having this kind of varsity club, you know, letter jackets and right. Muffy and Buffy and very. Um, kind of very exclusive vibe, which is probably not the way they're going to go with it, but yeah, I just kind of have this image of that very Ivy League. of being like beaten up, you know, beat up by a jock. That, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's terrible. I'm going to uh, chime in uh, as being the only person who, who – well, I don't know if I like the name, but I like the idea. 
because this is kind of like the antithesis of the cosmopolitan. It's not the select 5% that they're marketing towards. They're going towards everybody who's ever been to Animal House. <laughs> now, the rest of us, those of us who slurp down Jello or play beer pong or try and eat as many hamburgers as they can <laughs> in a half hour or done keg stands or any other sort of you know array of debauched displays of dumbness in public so i'm i'm kind of for the idea not so sure about the quad concept although it fits in with gambling quads you know i i get that too so i'm not totally against it i don't know if i love it though yeah i i mean take me to the quad jeeves i don't know it doesn't <laughs> let's I, go streaking through the quad man <laughs> yeah there you go it's that go. movie right yeah yeah I don't know. It makes kind of makes sense though. Wink is connected to the quad. Is connected to the thigh bone. I don't. It's just uh, it. It would not surprise me at all if that's where they ended up. And it's as, start calling it the quadable court. Hey, there you go. Ooh. <laughs> like that one. Thanks. Um, well, yeah. At some point, they'll have to make an announcement. They can't go on for too long without uh, spilling the beans. And there's, as you posted, Chuck. There's a lot of evidence suggesting that this is the direction they're leaning. Um, all right, let's see. I have a topic, interesting question. There was a story in Politico a couple, maybe a week ago, about Steve Wynn um, and how it is uh, seems that he is making large numbers of political donations through some of these new entities that you can, as if you're a super rich guy, you can donate to, and it's anonymous. He, he Wynn, obviously, has been very outspoken um, over the past several years in his... Uh, you know, he he is very keen on um, getting the president uh, out of office. He's not a fan of the current administration. And um, we're finding out now that it sounds like he's been a major donor to some of these political action committees that are spending a lot of money all over the country on ads, not just against the president, but also against a lot of House and Senate candidates um, and on issue ads and the like. And of course, Sheldon Adelson is now infamous as um, a major political money player. Uh, I think, you know, most Americans had no idea who Sheldon Adelson was nine months ago. And now he's on the news every night mentioned in conjunction with uh, this explosion in political giving. And what I'm wondering is, as it relates to Las Vegas and tourism, do tourists care about this kind of thing? Both of these guys have staked out positions that are, uh, you know, at least you could say at least half the country disagrees with them. You know, the numbers vary right on different issues, but they're on, they've picked sides on issues that are divisive. And, um, when you go and lose money at the Venetian or the Palazzo or when Las Vegas, in theory, eventually some of that money is then being used to support candidates that you may strongly disagree with. Um, is this something that consumers care about at all? Do they care about political giving and political activity of business owners, of businesses that they are uh, potentially going to be patrons of? Uh, will we see any of this creep into um, you know, these companies' performance as uh, the election season is only going to heat up from now until November, right? It's only going to get nastier and crazier. Any thoughts on that? Is this a total non-issue in the minds of consumers, or is this something that people would say, yeah, I don't know about spending any money at Win. That guy's supporting people I don't support. 
I think there's going to be some people on both sides who might do that. So after it came out that Caesars was pretty vociferously supporting Harry Reid and busing workers over to vote for him, I think maybe some people on that side said, well, I'm never going to go to Caesars properties again. So I think it's the same thing. I think most people don't really care. You know, they accept that this is America. These guys made their money. They, we have freedom of speech. If they want to support people on one side of the political divide, they can. You know, I, so I, I guess I have faith in most people having that view of like, hey, it's their money, whatever they want to support. I mean, no more than policies of movie stars would prevent right. people from seeing movies if they didn't agree with them politically or watching TV shows. So I don't know. I, I don't think it's such a turnoff for most people. You know, I will say that I've kind of hit on a little bit of the Sheldon stuff in a piece for Vegas 7 this week, kind of taking the tack of how they're using Vegas and Macau to beat up Mitt Romney through Sheldon Adelson. You know, there's this this blog piece that basically said, well, there's all this seedy stuff going on in Macau. Sheldon makes money in Macau and Sheldon gave money to Mitt. So therefore, Mitt is doing shady stuff in Macau. <laughs> so it's really – it was really just – it reminded me a lot of the Greenfelt Jungle stuff from the 60s where like, well, you know, if you're doing business in Las Vegas, you must be in the mob because everybody's mobbed up there. Right. You know, well, you know, actually maybe only 80% of the people were, but <laughs> – <laughs> so maybe that's not the best example, but it just reminded me of that kind of ad hominem attack based on the gambling city. So it got my back up just a little bit. What I think is also interesting, in at least my reading of a lot of these stories, is even as much as the people may accept that um, someone else has a different of, difference of opinion and you know they can spend their money on whatever they want, I'm getting the impression again and again that the idea of r- – um, rich mega donors giving unlimited amounts of money, that whole concept, whether or not they're giving to the people you support or not, I think that idea is being demonized quite a bit um, in the wake of you know, the Supreme Court decision on Citizens United and the like. It seems like the idea that people are able to do this, um, people that have outsized resources are, are able to have an extremely outsized influence, that concept alone, whether or not um, – you are even looking at the candidates there or an organizations they're donating to. Uh, it seems like that is getting a lot of negative play in the press as far as people thinking it as a, of a, as a bad thing, uh, potentially negative change. Uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting, um, to see how it goes. I mean, I, you know, when I think Sheldon Adelson has been very public about this, I don't, he's made no effort to hide his support for certain candidates and, um, and issues when clearly if you, if the Politico piece is to be believed, you know, he's trying to hide some of this activity for whatever reason. Um, he's availing himself of the opportunity that some of these new, uh, some of the laws and the way these rulings have come down is that you can make these donations anonymously, uh, which I think is interesting. And the other thing that I wondered about also though, was the, was working there. If you were, if you had very strong feelings about something and you found out that the company, and the guy that heads the company that you're working for uh, was on the opposite end of it and was literally putting millions of dollars into taking it down. It, it's got to have some kind of impact, right? I mean, it, it, it's got to be in some ways make it a tough working environment if, if there's something you just feel so strongly about and the company you're working for is on the other side of it, more or less. I mean, it's easy to conflate win the person and win the company and they're not the same thing. But, um, 
I don't know. I just think it's interesting that we're seeing we're, these are changes that we're seeing that we haven't seen before. Um, this scale uh, and the ability that these extremely successful people have to make these kind of to to uh, exert this kind of influence. So I think it's interesting to see to watch potential fallout. Maybe there won't be anything real and lasting. Maybe it is not a big issue. I appreciate this. I appreciate casino moguls using their money to become as evil as they possibly can. I want to see them control the world and control everything through the purse strings and their pockets. Well, oh, I just want to jump in on something again from Hunter. You know, speaking of win the company, I will share one thing without any kind of editorial comment about the current direction of Steve Wynn's political donations. When I was in Elaine's office, probably the most prominent picture in the office was her shaking hands with Barack Obama with Harry Reid on the other side of her. <laughs> Take from that what you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think that you know the other thing is in terms of consumers how this affects them. I agree with Dave for sure there's enough on each side to sort of wash the whole thing down. But even so, you know, I think most consumers don't really realize that you know, the Excalibur is owned by the same company as Luxor, or they might even think that the hotel is owned by a different company than Mandalay Bay. You know, and they don't even know who owns all these things. They'll say casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, but they don't say owner of the Venetian <laughs> and the Palazzo and the Sands Bethlehem. You know, they don't really get that much. Now, Steve will have more of a he's – he's been a public figure for 30-something years. So he will for sure, because he has his name on the top, you should have called him Trump. He has his name on the top of the building, so they'll, you know, everybody sees win, they know win, you know. Right. So, but if his name was still, you know, he's still going by Weinberg, then people I, wouldn't, you know, his name wouldn't be on the top of the building. <laughs> I would just like to say, if you are a clueless Las Vegas tourist and you would like to know who owns these places, we have all this information in the fabulous Vegas Mate iPhone app, uh, available on the iTunes app store. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting topic. Obviously, these guys are incredibly um, uh, are becoming high profile through through this uh, through this giving, and, and you know the election is going to just become more and more silly season as it gets closer and closer. If, if I can jump back in again yeah, for a second, jump, jump away. I I kind of suspect that the candidates treat these guys the same way they treat. The voters here in Nevada, which is they come here, they say really nice stuff to us about how much they like us. But I think there's a lot of people who are more important to them in the big scheme of things. So if it's between casinos and, you know, big pharma or whatever, military contractors or Goldman Sachs, you know, I've got to think that the other guys are going to be, so I don't know, you know, I'm, I guess it's nice that they get FaceTime with them. I don't know how much it's really going to affect policy because I think there's so many more important things going on in the country that are so much more divisive than casinos, which are still fundamentally a state issue. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe I'm just apathetic about about uh, getting donating a lot of money to candidates or something. But You know what I wish Steve Wynn would donate his money to? Keeping Terrace Point Cafe open 24 <laughs> hours a day. 
I'm giving $5 million to keep Terrace Point open so people can have the best pancakes in the world when they need it at 3.36 in the morning when they're drunk. I think that's an excellent. Uh, <laughs> I want to. What I want to do idea. is, I want to take up a collection for all the deferred maintenance. <laughs> so if they could get, you know, culinary to chip in some money instead of, you know, donating money to state candidates, you know, throw in a hundred thousand dollars and repaint that Paris balloon. Right. Seriously, that would make me happy. I mean, that thing is really starting to stick in my craw, and I might write something about that. Um, if we didn't have Fountain Blue, that would probably be my. Symbol of the recession. I mean, that thing is just starting to get ridiculous. It is ridiculously bad looking, and it's unbelievable they let it go on this long. Yeah, it's going to be white by the time they're done with it. <laughs> yeah, and I, oh my god, you know, it's getting to where I'm seriously thinking of like, well, how much paint would it take to do this? And you know, can we take up a collection? <laughs> They've, like, please just do it. It would make the whole thing. I don't know how you can run that property and come into work. And have that out there. And I mean, that would just bug me. Yeah. That would just bug me. But, you know, I like to do my dishes before I leave the house. So, so who is the I like to leave who, stuff hanging. Who was the boss of uh, Paris for a long time? <laughs> who, was, who was that? Who was that person who was the head of Paris? Hmm. Who was, what was her name again? I think she hmm. got another job down the street. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So did. She deferred the maintenance, and now it's somebody else's problem. Hey, they replaced the carpet there after 12 years. They <laughs> did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On, on that note, I think uh, we're going to close it up and go on to our Sure Bets segment. Our Sure Bets segment is where we get to recommend something to you, the audience. Um, it may or may not be related to casinos, uh, though it certainly can be. Something that we have run into in our lives that we think you might find interesting, useful, etc., etc. Um, Dr. Dave, do you have something for us today? I have something. This is like kind of, well, not kind of weird. It's just the first thing I could think of, um, which is an app that I reviewed in my Viva Todd Vegas site. And it's kind of cool. I just really like this app. It's called Balloon Baby School. It's basically a little flashcard-type app for kids, but it's really well done, except for one bug that I'm going to report to them about the little fig in the fruits and vegetables. But it's just really well done. And your kids basically pick little shapes and match them to words. It's really cool. It's called Balloon Baby School. And I've got a review up on Viva Top Vegas. And I did it yesterday, and I was thinking this was really cool. And it amazes me that they can give this much content, and it's really not that expensive. So... So good stuff. So kids apps in general and this one in specific. Nice. Nice. Um, Charles? Uh, you know, I don't really have one. I'm going to give just Balloon basic, baby school? Yeah. I figured the balloon baby school, that's what got the, the, the Paris balloon stuck in Dave's craw. He's been looking at <laughs> retina balloons for the last uh, however long, and now he sees the real one in person in, you know, his his craw balloons. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I have, I guess, two, one, three. Uh, number one would be Atlantic City, as we already mentioned. That's a sure bet. Please go. Have a good time. East Coasters, go and, and, and make it happen. Uh uh, number two is, um, shit, what was the other one? Uh, <laughs> I've got a number two. Oh, yeah, number two, number two is uh, to go with a week, 
go buy yourself a Hunter S. Thompson book if you don't have one. Uh, go to the used bookstore. Pick any one. They're all entertaining in one way or another. And number three is I want to give a shout-out to uh, my buddy Jesse who has a book out. Uh, it's called Big Day Coming, The Rise, uh, the Story of Yola Tango, the band Yola Tango, and the Rise of Indie Rock. It's a pretty fascinating book. He's kind of paired. He's traced the history of indie rock, which is, you know, like the, the grass where like R.E.M. and U2 and people like that sort of came from, from small little bars and college radio and people printing out fanzines, you know, on, uh, you know, Xerox and tracing the history of that while also tracing the history of the band, uh, Yola Tango. And it's a pretty fascinating book. He's a great, great writer. Uh, we've been friends for a long time, but I still love this book, whether I knew him or not. Um, it's on the bookstore, the iBooks, and you can get it in the Kindle and whatnot. And, uh, we'll put a link in the, the thingamabob for the Hoosierwitzits. Fantastic. I, I just want to interrupt here. Yeah. Before you do yours, I have some breaking news. Breaking news. So if, if in post you could put some kind of little siren in here or something, that would be great. There's the post. This is a question that Chuck had about the Fitzgerald's chips at the D. Just got the press release Yeah, that the chips will remain in play until August 14th when the D stacks them up for the last time. So you can play with... Traditional Fitz chips, special edition pieces created for Don Barden, St. Patrick's Day, Fremont Street Experience, and the Millennium. <clears throat> this is the so, most ridiculous press release I think I've ever read. You've got until until August 14th. Excellent, excellent, excellent. <laughs> Mark that date down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to recommend something called uh, Soda Stream. Love the Soda Stream. Soda Stream is fantastic. Um, you may have heard of the Soda Stream. You may have seen the Soda Stream. Apparently, the Soda Stream is actually they do a lot of advertising that I was not actually aware of. Um, basically, the Soda Stream is basically a fancy nozzle on a CO2 canister. But um, the, its practical use is to allow you to make soda and fizzy water at home in the um, comfort of your own kitchen. Uh, they have a bunch of different models, and you can add crap to it. Um, to like make your own crap Coke. I just like water personally, but yeah. <laughs> people people like to add the the flavors. Um, but you can get SodaStream at, at uh, like I saw it at Staples the other day. They're everywhere, um, but it's great. I use, I got one a couple months ago. I use it all the time now. Um, yep. Like every single day, it's so awesome. Yep. Big fan. No more bottles. Exactly. The it's world also- needs less plastic bottles, and you don't need to lug a case of plastic bottles into your house ever again. Yeah, it's true. Done. It's pretty cool. awesome. Finished. Big fan. And if you do, like, if you're like me, like, I was drinking, like, two or three liters of Pellegrino a day. Uh, it's so much cheaper than that yep. also. Uh, so not only is it environmentally friendly, it's also less expensive. Um, I am a big fan. And the Italians get to keep their water. Yeah, see, they need all the water. <laughs> uh, all right, guys, that's it for today. It's super hot in here. i got to turn the air conditioning back on. Um, thanks to everybody for being here. I'm going to go around the table so you can tell people where they can find you. Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? Um, all over uh, Vegas 7 today, but also 2 Hard 3 and dgschwartz.com and, of course, gaming.unlv.edu. Fantastic. Charles S. Monster Esquire, how about you? 
People can find me at horseshoelasvegas.com. <laughs> <laughs> that the the quad dot horseshoelasvegas dot com. Um, you can find me. I'll be at home this weekend, but don't really stop by. We're uh, we're not accepting any guests. Um, say thanks, guys. Have a fantastic weekend.